Transfer Portal hasn't even opened yet. Oregon players already announcing they're going to be in there. And it's okay. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day if you're watching on YouTube. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with our beloved Ducks. Continue, please and thank you, to like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online where the game starts. And we are starting today with a healthy discussion of the transfer portal. And last year, when they implemented that rule, that you could go somewhere once, no penalty, not have to sit out, it got crazy. Now that it's fully implemented, it's going to be even crazier this year, just to prepare all of you for that. That is a pretty, I think, standard and understood expectation. There are already... At the FCS and FBS levels, I think over a 1,000 kids in the portal, that number is going to continue to grow. It's either high hundreds or approaching 1,000. It's a lot. It's going to be a lot. The portal doesn't even open until December 5th. And Oregon's already had several players announce that they're going to enter the transfer portal. And as these transfers get announced and as they come in, once the window opens, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here on YouTube, but I believe transfer portal window is December 5th. To January 18th. So that's the change in college football here that they've kind of added as a, a wrinkle, so to speak, or to kind of contain the portals. You can't officially go into it. You can announce that you have plans to enter it, which is why we've already seen Dante Thornton, Byron Cardwell, and others who we're going to talk about here on the show today say, hey, I'm going into the transfer portal. But the portal itself doesn't actually open until December 5th, after conference championship weekend, which is why Oregon hasn't ha- hasn't added anybody yet. And certainly, they're going to have some opportunities to because guys have announced they're going to leave the program and more will. Don't panic. I don't think anybody monumental has entered the portal at this point. I'll go through why with the guys we've seen and, you know, kind of what they what they left, what they leave in terms of an opportunity for someone to come in or for someone to step up and play, but also whether or not I think it's notable that they left. Biggest guy that I am bummed about right now is Dante Thornton, and it's not particularly close. Five guys in the portal. I'll talk a little about all of them. Dante Thornton, Byron Cardwell, Seven McGee, Jay Butterfield, and Braden Swinson is the latest. We're going to get to a little OC talk uh, later in the show as well. I am bummed about Dante Thornton for a couple of reasons. Number one, very highly coveted recruit. And when you bring in a lot of highly rated recruits the way Oregon does, you're just not going to be able to keep all of them. You you, you just aren't. So when you see a guy who you remember as, man, that was a four-star recruit. Man, that was a high four-star recruit like Dante Thornton. It's disappointing, yes, but you have to imagine there's a reason that he hasn't played as much as we thought he might, or there's a reason he hasn't been playing as much as he thought he might, or as much as he would like to. We saw him start to come on at the end of last season, specifically in the Alamo Bowl, when you know Oregon finally started taking some downfield shots, and you looked at it and said, man, Hudson 
had a lot of nice catches. Troy Franklin caught some deep balls. Dante Thornton, like, are those going to be your two pillars on the outside with Hudson on the interior? And two of those three players kind of blossomed here this season. You know, I think Chris Hudson became, I mean, he, he was at the end of last year too, but his involvement in in gadget plays, you know, fly sweeps, screen passes, that sort of stuff, I think he was really, really good with everything. Troy Franklin, of course, clear number one receiver, probably going to be, I would guess, second team all Pac-12 this year. There are a lot of good receivers in, in, in the Pac-12, but Franklin is certainly among them. He could be first, but there are a lot of guys who could get on that list. I'd expect Franklin to be second, and I, I think it's it's warranted, certainly, but not third. Like He should be second is appropriate. Anyway, so... We all had this vision of Franklin on one side, Thornton on the other, unleash the skinnies, right? Both highly rated four-star recruits coming out, showed a lot of potential. And Thornton just never was able to get on the field as much as Troy Franklin. I think part of that is what we saw with the the ball control issues he showed against Utah. When something like that, as a guy's role expands, starts to rear its head, you go, okay maybe there's a reason he's not playing as much as he could have. Now, was he still a very good player? Yes. But he also had two fumbles in the same game. And when you're looking at someone who is that talented physically and also with with just his awareness as a football player, as we saw throughout this season, you have to ask the question, like, okay, why is he not seeing the field as much? What are they seeing? I think maybe that was a part of it. Because every time he ran with the football, it was a little careless, not totally comfortable in in that particular environment, which again begs the question why we tried to give him a reverse. But anyway, that's like beside the point. I think the other thing with Dante Thornton and the reason you saw Franklin emerge more as a number one, whereas Thornton certainly has the the size and straight line speed to be that, I think Franklin's a much more versatile route runner. You know, that touchdown he caught against Oregon State he goes to the top of the route against Rajon Wright, who's one of the best DBs in the Pac-12, and he just cooked him for a touchdown. I don't think Thornton developed that. And you can't say they didn't have ample opportunities at practice to show they were capable of it. But still, even with Thornton not being as well-rounded of a receiver as Troy Franklin, I'm still bummed that he left because I loved what he brought as a vertical threat. And when Chase Coda went down, and Coda, you know, did everything this season as as a wide receiver. He went deep, caught screen passes over the middle. Like he's he's just rock solid across the board. I think Thornton, with his elite straight line speed, brings you that vertical threat that we saw in the Utah game, in the Washington game, and you know, those sorts of opportunities. Washington State, he had a big catch too. Those are the sorts of opportunities where I felt like, okay. That's what he brings to the offense. He's your over-the-top. Franklin can do that on on the other side, but is going to work in kind of the 10 to 20-yard range, 5 to 20-yard range, and then other guys around the line of scrimmage like Chris Hudson and then the tight ends too. So I'm most disappointed that that Thornton won't be there. Is Oregon okay at the wide receiver position? Yeah, plenty of talent there. Ashton Cozart and Jurion Dickey coming in. Got to be able to keep Jurion committed, of course, because as I talked about with John on yesterday's show, that's a guy that a lot of people are going to come after, and rightfully so. He's really, really good. Like That's the sort of player who comes in and starts seeing playing time before a Kyler Casper does regularly or before an Ashton Cozart or any other receivers on that roster that, that have been here already with the Ducks. That's the sort of player that, that Jurion Dickey is, but... Again, I was thinking about the future and thinking like, man, what if you had Troy Franklin, 
Chris Hudson in the slot. Jurion Dick, he can go anywhere. And you had Dante Thornton. Like, that's a lethal four-wide receiver set. But part of the reason I think Thornton didn't get as involved in, in the offense this year was that the philosophy that Oregon had offensively featured a lot of explosive plays. But they ran a lot of pro concepts just kind of out of spread looks. A lot of two- and three-man routes that oftentimes involved the tight end. So the opportunities for wide receivers were certainly more plentiful than a season ago. I'm not trying to argue that. But I think, you know, it wasn't a true air raid, right? It wasn't a USC offense. It wasn't a Mike Leach offense. What Washington State was, you know, doing this year, even though Mike Leach isn't there anymore. I think that's why he didn't get the amount of touches or or looks that that he needed to feel like he could reach his full potential at Oregon. Even though I think he could have, you know, been a very successful player, I understand it from uh, from his perspective. So certainly wish him nothing but nothing but the best. I don't begrudge these guys, even if I think from time to time they may be making a mistake. That's that's my personal opinion. That's my personal thought. Not for me to come on here and judge. Just assess how it impacts Oregon. What about the other guys? The Byron Cardwells, the seven McGee's in the world, Jay Butterfield. Uh oh, what's the quarterback situation look like with him not on the roster? We'll get to all of that after we get to bet online, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and esports. We've got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at betonline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting. Fix, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online is where the game starts. So the rest of the transfers for the Ducks to this point, and there will be more, and then eventually players will come in and we'll go through all of them here on, on the show. You know, maybe not in as much detail as Thornton in terms of guys who leave when they're not as impactful, but the players that come in, certainly. And, and that's the biggest thing that I wanted to stress on today's show before we we head to the weekend collectively here with an Oregon, unfortunately, not giving me an opportunity to preview the, the Pac-12 championship game, at least here on Locked on Ducks. Talk about it playing Locked on Pac-12 if you want to hear. But I think a guy like Thornton was someone who could have grown into that role and was really starting to show it. But the players that will come in for Oregon can be the sorts of players we're looking for. And when you talk about these guys leaving Oregon, leaving a void on the roster, maybe it's somebody who's behind him who steps up. Maybe it's somebody who comes in via the portal. Maybe it's a true freshman who comes in. But anytime a guy like this leaves, there's a roster spot open, even if it's in a backup position, right? Even if it's the number four running back or so, like Byron Cardwell, who I'm about to talk about. It creates an opportunity for guys to get reps at practice, get the coach's attention, see some action on the field. You're going to deal with attrition over the course of a season with any football team, any sports team, frankly. You're always going to deal with that, so depth is important. Thornton was certainly a beneficiary of that when Chase Cota went down. He stepped in and filled the voice. Why well, we talk about you know every position a couple guys deep? Because when a Chase Coda goes down, you don't want to be going to a, a, a walk-on or a guy who's barely played or is not capable of making big plays. Like Thornton stepped into that role and was an impact player for the offense for several weeks. So let's get to Byron Cardwell now. And I, I think this is the least surprising transfer 
of the season, <laughs> probably. Uh, like I was more surprised at, at both Seven McGee and Dante Thornton than than Byron Cardwell because there was just a lot of weird stuff. A couple of you asked me questions about it, and the only way I could phrase it was, "It's strange." And it feels like he's going to leave. And that's, of course, what, what he's going to do and is probably in his own best interest be, interests because I don't think he had a future as a guy who could get a lot of touches on this Oregon team with this Oregon staff. With the previous staff, I don't think that was the case because once C.J. Verdell went down, he was the number two running back. And had Mario and company stayed, yeah, Cardwell might have been the number two. Maybe he'd kept Travis Dyer up. Maybe he'd be, he would have been the number one. I don't know. But this staff, they don't know him, so they didn't feel a sense of loyalty to him. And I just think stylistically, when you look at what Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington present, who were sensational this year, might I remind all of you, and so was Jordan James and Sean Dollars and the touches that he got. I expect Dollars to be in the portal at some point because he's got a lot of potential. Hasn't happened. like He hasn't announced before it's open, but don't be surprised if that one comes to pass. Talk about it if and I mean, hopefully when not it uh, it happens and such, because I really like what, what he brings to the table and whatnot. But when you're looking at a guy like Cardwell. Compared to Irving and Whittington, he is not that sort of physical runner. And last year, you know, Chris Ball and Alex Mirabal wanted to be physical in, in the run game. Right. We all know that it was the foundation for the offense, sometimes frustratingly. So at times, but I think what Cardwell represented was kind of a change of pace back or a change of style back. And he still represented that for this offense under Kenny Dillingham and Dan Lanning and and everybody else. But I don't think they were looking for that quite as much. And the other thing, too, if you're going for more of a speed back compared to Whittington and Irving, who maybe don't have as much breakaway speed, I think Whittington's got a little bit more than uh, than, than Bucky Irving. He busted more long runs this year, but Bucky's probably a little bit more well-rounded. Both are very, very good. I've been impressed with both. I'm glad both will, in all likelihood, be back next year to carry the rock as well for the Ducks. But Cardwell just represents a different style that I don't think this staff was was really, really fond of. And that's a guy who's patient, using his speed, has got good agility, but that kind of was his style. And I think they wanted guys who were a little bit more of little bit more decisive runners. And it doesn't mean that Byron Cardwell is not a good back. He is. We saw him run a year ago. He averaged like six, seven yards a carry. He was really efficient in the touches that he got. I just think that within the structure of this offense, it's just kind of not what they're looking for. Doesn't mean the coaching staff is wrong. We saw how Oregon ran the ball this season. It was really, really good for the most part. And we've seen Byron Cardwell when he gets touches. He can have success. So that is just a transfer to me that that makes a lot of sense. You've got Dante Dowdle coming in. If if he's able to stay committed, you know, other schools talked about with John again yesterday, coming after him, understandably so. But that's kind of more the mold they're looking for. They want guys who are a little bit more bruising, a little bit more physical. And I think Bucky Irving is kind of the exception here. I, I think Bucky Irving with his shiftiness and the way he he dances a little, you know, he can be physical, but I think he's distinct in that sense. But Whittington and James, very, very similar body types and running backs when you watch them. Downhill, physical finishing runs. It's just not what Cardwell is, but he could go to a team that is, you know, a little bit more spread out. I think if he went to, he's a good pass catcher. If he went to a Washington State, I think he could have a lot of success. I think it'd be a great fit. 
for Byron Cardwell up at Washington State. A lot of spread concepts, a lot of getting the guys the ball in space, not a lot of physical downhill running between the tackles. So uh, that, that could be a destination for him. Seven McGee, you know, just, just wasn't able to beat out Chris Hudson. I think he was given every opportunity to, you know, because Hudson was not a, a guy that this Oregon staff brought in and said, hey, this is, you know, this is the guy who we want, right? Like they kind of did with Buck Irving, Noah Whittington, Carlos Lachlan and Kenny Dillingham were like, yeah, these are, these are our guys. And, you know, everyone was kind of given a chance more early in the season, but then as it went on, it was, it was Bucky Irving. It was Noah Whittington. And then Jordan James is the goal line and short yardage back. So uh, they, they didn't have that. And, and I think McGee was given a chance and it, it just wasn't able to fully develop. And it's tough when you're undergoing a position change, but again, a, a good athlete, I would like for Oregon to continue to find a gadget guy. I think Chris Hudson can do that. We saw that this season, but I like the pop passes, jet sweeps, and slot screens that Oregon ran this year. And and if Hudson's going to commit to being that guy, I'm okay with that. I thought he did a lot of good things after the catch. And the thing I like about Chris Hudson, too. Last year, Chris Hudson was a good player. But he had some fumbling issues. And then he had the penalty, got chewed out by Mario infamously on on national television and whatnot. And you know what he's done? You know what I've noticed about him since then? Seems to just keep getting better. Seems to just add more routes to the route tree that he can run effectively. And uh, after having a couple of fumbles last year, did he have one this year? Maybe I'm forgetting, but I don't think he did. And that's putting in the work. That's putting in the time caring about your craft. So I, I feel all right there. Uh, Jay Butterfield, no surprise here. The, the, the quarterback room, there are only about 50 different directions that the quarterback room could go. And you can tell I feel strongly about that if you're watching on YouTube because I've got both hands up in the air. With Butterfield off the roster, I think it makes it less likely Ty Thompson will transfer. I don't think it makes it impossible that he does. All eyes on Bo Nix at the quarterback position of court. Well, all eyes maybe on Dante Moore and Bo Nix kind of equally. Like, I, I'm 50-50 on, you know, who I, I, I prioritize more. I'd maybe lean Dante Moore because you'd be able to get more than just one more season out of him. But I also know what Bo Nix is. That is a proven commodity. Dante Moore, though he's a guy who has a lot of potential and a lot of talent, does not have a single college game under his belt. So we don't actually know, right? See, Ty Thompson. Does he look like the guy we thought he was? No. Has he been given a full chance to do that? Also no. So maybe he can become that. But with Butterfield being the first to enter the portal, I'd suspect Thompson will ride it out longer at the very least to see where the quarterback room falls, whether Bo stays, whether or not Dante Moore stays committed to the Ducks, which looks good right now, can be an evolving situation. But now you have, at this very moment, going into the bowl game, just two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. Not as many as you'd like to have. I suspect they'll add a transfer just for depth purposes, even if it's not to be the starter next season. But I don't think Oregon is done in the portal at the quarterback position. I know there are plenty of Duck fans out there who would like us to be. I don't expect that to change uh, anytime soon. Last guy that has announced at this point in time he's leaving is Braden Swinson, whose role decreased from last year to this year. I don't think that was by accident. Oregon's pass rush struggled a lot this year. So if you weren't able to get on the field, I, I'm not super concerned 
about the the player that Oregon is losing there. He did some nice things, you know, had a great game against Ohio State a season ago, but did I see that he announced that he'd be entering the transfer portal and think, oh man, I thought that was going to be your best pass rusher next year. I thought he was a year away from popping. Not really. I think we saw what he was, which is, you know, a serviceable, but not a high impact player. And hopefully Oregon can get, you know, one of these young defensive linemen or maybe a transfer defensive lineman or edge player to, to come in there and really, really fill that role. So uh, those are the five guys so far that have announced they'll be in the portal. There will be more. But then once the portal actually opens and you can add players and guys can actually choose their destinations that are not graduate transfers that can uh, make that decision for themselves right now before the portal window opens on December 5th. There will be plenty of names coming to Oregon. And, of course, we'll continue to cover them here on the show. That's enough Transfer Portal talk for today. Won't be the last time I talk about it, of course. But let's get to the uh, the offensive coordinator position. I think this is going to be – this is Friday's show. I'm recording Thursday night. I would be surprised if next week at this time we don't know who Oregon's offensive coordinator is. Now, Lanning himself flew out to see Dante Moore in person and keep him committed. Fingers crossed that he'll be able to do that. But as a guy who is a defensive head coach, not the offensive play caller, you got to have someone who you can show Dante Moore. At least I would like to. Like, I feel okay. I'd say like 55 to 60% confident about where Oregon stands with Dante Moore and keeping him with the Ducks. I would feel better about that. Like that percentage would go up if Oregon makes an offensive coordinator hire here soon. And and based on the, the rumblings and the chatter and whatnot, seems like that will be the case that a hire will be made sometime next week, maybe even over the weekend. I would really be shocked if you let it go beyond next week because the early signing period is December 21st. You can only recruit with speculation to a guy for so long. You'd like for him to be able to have a conversation with the offensive coordinator and be able to just present him with the guy who is going to be his play caller. So I think that'll happen pretty quickly. Now, a name that I kind of glossed over when I talked about OC candidates on Wednesday's show was Joe Brady. I think there are pros and cons to Joe Brady. The word on him is that he's not the not a guy who loves recruiting. The fact that he jumped from college to the NFL is indicative of that, right? Dan Mullen wanted to go to the NFL. Chip went to the NFL. What do those guys have in common? You know, they weren't wild about recruiting. Doesn't mean they don't know football very well means that they don't necessarily love recruiting. But if you're ta- if you're Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy and Junior Adams, Carlos Lachlan, Adrian Clem, everybody else on this staff, if you feel sufficiently confident in your ability to bring in high-end offensive players with or without or without an OC who is, you know, all in on recruiting and loves that and really, you know, sinks his teeth into it, then maybe you can afford to go after a guy like Joe Brady, who you say, we need you, you know, to be a presence on the recruiting trail, but primarily 
we need you to be our play caller. We need you to orchestrate this offense and coach these kids in a way that allows them to succeed and put up enough points for us to win the game. I think the pros of of Joe Brady are that he's not going to be running some antiquated offense, right? He likes to throw the football. He was a part of a championship team. He knows what a championship culture is like. He's been around a lot of high-level head coaches. Remember, he came from, uh, he was with Sean Payton for a couple of years in New Orleans as an offensive analyst. And Sean Payton, say whatever you want about him. First of all, he's great on TV. Second of all, he's really good with offense. And someone who comes from that sort of coaching tree should have your attention with regards to his offensive chops. Now, the con with him that I think a lot of people will look at will say, well, he went to Carolina as the offensive coordinator and it didn't work out. Fair. Very fair, because it is, of course, true to point that out. However, I don't see that as a glaring negative as it pertains to him in the college game. Because though the similarities between college football and the NFL continue to grow the number of them year by year by year, there's still a distinct difference. And in college, Joe Brady had a high-level quarterback in Joe Burrow. Who was the best quarterback he worked with at the with, with the Carolina Panthers? Too many TH sounds in there. i got to cut that out. I don't know. Was it Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, or P.J. Walker, or Teddy Bridgewater at a point in time? Like, I don't even know. It was not a great quarterback, and it is such a quarterback-dependent league even more so than college football, that discounting his ability to be an offensive coordinator because it didn't work in the NFL, to me, is not a giant concern. It might get my attention, which it does. That's why I'm talking about it. But it doesn't turn me off from the idea of Joe Brady can orchestrate a college offense that is highly successful. I I, I don't feel like he can't just because it didn't work in the NFL. Still a lot of differences there. And the personnel is even more important in the NFL because of the defensive players and coordinators that you're going up against compared to what you have at the college ranks. So if that ends up being the higher, again, don't have a strong inclination. I haven't gotten any, you know, information. I'm not super duper tied in. Got a couple people here and there, but like for the most part, you know, I'm reading and reacting to a lot of the same stuff that you guys are. If he's the number one candidate, okay. Do I know that he is? No. I laid out my wish list. I wouldn't be opposed to Joe Brady. But whoever it ends up being, I expect it to happen within the next week or so. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a great weekend. Have a wonderful rest of your day before you have a great weekend. And as always, Go Ducks.